morning. I am exceptionally dressed up today. It is not because I'm speaking. It is because I have no clean clothes. <laughs> we, uh, this week was our, our first middle school musical uh, for Brian and I directing at Orangewood Christian School, yes. Um, so not only do I not have any clean clothes, but sitting in my laundry room is a garbage bag this big filled with the dirty clothes of 40 middle schoolers. <laughs> it is ripe in our house, right, right, right. Um, this teaching job, I was thinking about the fact that I have had a number of different jobs in my adult life. I know there are some people who, you know, only had one or two, maybe they got married young and then they uh, became stay-at-home moms or they started their own business and just kind of did that through. But these are the things that I've done in my adult life. I was a babysitter, an ice cream scooper, a waitress, a daycare worker, a reservationist, a tour guide, an actor, a nanny, a paralegal assistant, uh, a, or a personal assistant, a paralegal assistant, an administrative assistant, a lot of assisting that I do, uh, a recruiter, a Zumba instructor, a teacher, and director. Now, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a lot of jobs. It's a lot of different jobs. Some of those I liked more than others. Some of those I felt more equipped for than others. But one thing that I have started to see now as I'm getting older and have had this flow of jobs is this pattern where God seems to prepare me for what's coming next by the thing that I'm doing now. And I'm not talking about the normal thing, like, um, you know, you, you work in your job and you get better at it and you learn things about it and then you get promoted to a slightly different version of the same kind of job. I'm not talking about that particularly. I'm talking about things that are completely, seemingly unrelated. Um, I... I'm a volunteer guardian ad litem. I think I've said that before, but the guardians ad litem are the people who speak for kids in the foster care system. So as a volunteer, I uh, get to know these kids and then I stand and speak for them on their behalf in court. Well, I'd done it for, I don't know, a year and a half or so and they had a position that became available for a recruiter. <laughs> I haven't been a recruiter before, but I was, stay-at-home mom, I was homeschooling Emma, I was working, you know, part-time for the church, and I thought, might as well just go to this interview. So I went to the interview, there's, you know, six, seven people sitting at this big table around me, and they're asking questions, and then she said, um, so if you were to uh, go into a big corporation to try to market the Guardian Ed Lighten program and recruit their people to be volunteers for us, what kind of, of program and marketing plan would you have in place in order to present? I didn't even understand the question. I to I'm, I'm totally serious. I, I totally didn't even understand the question, but I just, I said, well, and then started going some malarkey about managing volunteers in the church and somehow how that might have related. And I, I left there thinking, they think I am a bombastic jackwagon, that I have just said the biggest bunch of, you know, whatever. And then a few days later, I happened to be at Gigi's house, and I get this phone call, and they offered me the job. <laughs> Are you people nuts? <laughs> But I, I did it. I did it for a while, and I and I, you know, learned some things. I, when 
just a couple of years, right, well, let's see, a year ago, when, uh, right before we got these jobs at uh, Orangewood, I had, Emma was going to one school of the arts. This is kind of a cool story that I don't think I've shared much. She was going there and I was volunteering. I had tried substitute teaching. Oh, I didn't add that to the list. I had tried substituting and I stunk at it. I was no good. It was not, it was not a good fit for me. Uh, but at Emma's school, you had to volunteer. All the parents have to volunteer a certain number of hours. If you don't, you have to pay money. So I volunteered. And I was behind on my hours. So toward the end of the year, I was volunteering a lot. And I happened to be there and realized I really like being here at school when Emma's, you know, with Emma. Emma likes me being here. She wasn't yet ashamed that I was there. Um, and I thought, okay, subbing didn't work for me, but maybe, maybe there's something else that I could do, something. This was literally on a Thursday or Friday. That Monday, I got an email from a woman I had never met before. It was Tim Kelly's wife, Laura, so married to Chip's brother, but they'd been coming to church here, um, but I'd never met her. I got an email from this woman who's completely foreign to me saying, Orangewood is looking for a new full-time drama teacher and a part-time drama director. Do you happen to know anybody who might be remotely interested? So Brian and I, as he shared, we started kind of going down this road. And again, sitting in that interview process with the head of the school and all three principals and people from HR and all this stuff. Brian and I are sitting there together and they said, so tell us, um, tell us just about the last production that you took from start to finish, the last thing that you directed by yourself. And again, uh, well, and I said a few things about being involved with Gabriel's, but then I said, if you want to know literally the last production that I took from start to finish, that would be 30 years ago in college. And they offered us the jobs. <laughs> Again, these people, what are you thinking? Every time, I'm like, what is the matter with you people? But I started to see, like I said, this pattern in the things that God, I had already learned, God bringing in, such as, like, we just did this musical. I, we have to do choreography. What? Choreography? I'm not a dancer. Brian's not a dancer. Neither one of us have done anything. But... I was teaching Zumba, and I had to come up with my own choreography for Zumba, and now all of a sudden, I'm like, oh yeah, just do this. Just do this. What? How did being a Zumba instructor prepare me for being a high school, a high school drama teacher and director? How, how did, you know, managing volunteers at church make me a marketing recruiter person at a, do you know what I'm saying? It's just, how did being a waiter Make Chip a preacher. How, how that's not a that's not a normal jump. That's not a moving up a ladder kind of thing. But that is how I see God working in in my life, taking those kinds of experiences like that. It led me. It helped me see that I am not moving aimlessly through this life. It's not just bumper cars or you know pinball. That's a better example. I'm not just being pling 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 from one of these jobs to another, that I'm not moving aimlessly and neither is God, that he's got a purpose in all of this. So I thought back to Moses. Now Moses was not a shepherd. Moses was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? This is who he is. He's a royalty kind of guy. He's a deliverer. 
And he knows that. Somehow deep in his core, he knows that from the beginning, which is why he, you know, kills the Egyptian and gets in trouble and he runs away. But even this part of the story I didn't remember. When he runs away and gets to Midian, the reason he gets noticed in Midian is because he does the same thing. He delivers, he saves the, the women who were being, the shepherds were being cruel to them. And again, Moses is the guy that stands up and helps them out. And that's what got him noticed in Midian. So then Moses becomes what? A shepherd. For 40 years, he's a shepherd. 40 years of wandering around, guiding these dumb animals, showing them which way to go, being patient, being kind, guiding this thing. 40 years that ends up preparing him to shepherd the flock of Israel for another 40 years, right? Those two things that seem at first unrelated or silly you know a shepherd that's how you become a leader but that's kind of the way that God works so he comes we come to the point of the burning bush where you know God's speaking to him and he says you know the whole conversation back and forth this is what I want you to do really are you sure yes this but what if yes but what if yes and finally the verse that, st that stuck out to me is the verse about the staff um, it is uh, Exodus 4, 1 through 2. Um, but Moses protested again. Not the first protest, he protests again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Now I've heard preachers speak on this verse before and talk about how um, God will use whatever is in our hand. And I think that's, that's true and good. A good application, but I think that there's something more here, because when I really look at it, the this staff, from from my perspective, looking at it, it kind of represents, you know, Moses's uh oh years, right? He screwed up. He killed the guy. He ran. He becomes the he becomes the shepherd. So now he's got the staff. He doesn't have the Pharaoh's thing, whatever the Pharaoh uses, scepter. Doesn't have that. He has a shepherd's staff, but that staff. That thing that, that he got in those 40 years became the very thing, the, his main tool. That's the thing that turned into the snake. That's the thing that he held out over the Red Sea to have it split. That's the thing he used to strike the rock to have the water come out. That thing. So it's almost to me as if, as if God is saying, okay, what, what do you think that we've been doing here these last, you know, four decades? What, what do you think we've been doing? I've been preparing you for this. So you take that staff, that thing, as a confident reminder that I've already prepared you for everything that's coming in the future. So it's, it's, it wasn't a, um, like, I think it's really symbolic, I think it's not just, oh, I guess you had it in your hand, so let's just do that. That staff was a bigger symbol of all the yuck that he had already gone through. That yuck that wasn't just, let's make beauty from ashes. That yuck that was, this is the very thing that I'm going to use to help you do the great big thing that you've always known that you were called to do. Think about David and Goliath. What did David use to kill Goliath? He used the slingshot. The slingshot that he'd been practicing on when he's sitting around, again, tending all those sheep. That is the thing. 
He didn't use, I mean, even if he didn't wear all of Saul's armor, he could have at least taken a sword, right? I mean, he could have done something. But what God laid on his heart, because that's what David knew. God had already showed him, I use this thing. I use this thing with you and look at what I do. And that's what happened again. Look at Joseph. Joseph had this dream, right? This great dream. Now, I mean, we don't know Joseph's motives. Um, we don't know the motive of his heart. But from our perspective, pretty foolish to tell that kind of dream to your siblings that are already don't like you very well, right? So I have a dream. You're all going to bow down to me. Let me tell you all about it in explicit detail. <laughs> Let me tell you, as the, the youngest one, how you're all going to bow down and serve to me. So they get tweaked, to say the least. Tweaked enough that they decide that they're going to kill him. They throw him in the cistern. They throw him down in the well. Well, it's because he's down in the well that he gets taken to Egypt. And when he gets taken to Egypt, he, of course, becomes second in command. And all that, the whole dream, everything ends up happening. He did not become second in command in Egypt, despite the fact that, you know, all of that happened and he said what he said and he got thrown in the well. He became second in command of Egypt because all of that happened. You know, it's this weird, when you really start to look at, it's kind of like that whole, you know, chicken and the egg thing or whatever, because you think, okay, he, he has this dream. If he hadn't have told the dream, then they wouldn't have been so pissed off they tried to kill him, tried to get him to Egypt. If they didn't think that they had actually killed him, they, they would have totally recognized him when they saw him again, right? So then how would they really have bowed down if they knew that it was just their brother? You know what I mean? You see how it's all just kind of layered in there, which makes me think that this idea of, of God's will for us, of God's plan and God's will for us, is a little bit bigger and a little bit more amazing then I think we reduce it to. Because I think that we, at least me, um, I get, well, what is God's will for this? It, it, it comes on a tiny level, this decision. I know God's big plan, God's will for this decision. What is God's will for this decision? So I started looking at what, what does the Bible have to say about God's will. First uh, Thessalonians 4.3 says, God's will is for you to be holy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 15. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. So it starts to look to me like God's will is is more about directing us how to live. Like the Ten Commandments gives us this, these broad strokes of how to live. This is, this is God's heart toward us. This is his will, his heart toward us. Rather than, rather than, I guess I used to think, whereas God's will is this one straight thing, and if I make a choice here or there or here or there, then I get off it and then I'm no longer in his will. Then I've, I've screwed up my life, or screwed up this thing, or I've screwed up that thing, and it's no longer, I don't, 
I don't think the Bible shows that at all. When you look at the lives of these men that we've just talked about and how God's plans and purposes are completely fulfilled in them despite all of their ups and downs and their movings around and all of that, I think he's big enough to have made a plan that will incorporate all of that. Which, which doesn't mean to say, in the, same, in the same vein as understanding grace, doesn't mean to say, okay, let's just all woohoo, go willy-nilly and do whatever, do whatever we want and not pay any attention to God. Because the, there are more verses about God's will that say, Hebrews 13, 20, and 21, Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So I think it's not just, I think we use the term for a couple of different things. And I think that God does have an, uh, a, a heart toward us. His will, meaning his heart toward us, is to live in these ways. Because that's what gives us the best life. To live according to the, to the good rules that he's laid out for us. But it's also just a much bigger thing of just walking with him. If, if you are a Christian... You are in right standing with God. You are righteous before him. And the Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. So if I am a Christian, I am walking with God. If I am walking with God, I am in his will. All my ups, my downs, the stuff I screw up, I'm, I'm not out of his, I don't believe, I'm out of his will any more than I have fallen from grace or lost my salvation. I feel that we have we have made a much more narrow definition of that word, and I believe that it's bigger. I believe that when he, he made the whole plan for Joseph, he knew, he knew all of it. He made the plan working all of that in, working it all out, so that no matter what season I'm in, no matter if I think I'm doing great or I think I'm doing awful, no matter if this season makes sense to me, or if I feel like this has nothing to do with anything and has suddenly just put me on a completely different path than I ever expected, I can trust that it's, it's all in there. It is all in there. Um, there's this great quote that I found by, um, it's in the 40 Days to a Joyful Life, so when we did that book, you probably read it, by Tommy Newberry. But he says, consider for a moment that the biggest problem you are now facing might be exactly what you need to chisel your character so that you become perfectly prepared to follow God's path for your life. Oh, I skipped a verse, didn't I? I wanted to, <laughs> sorry, I just realized that. Um, uh, let me jump back up to Romans 12, 2, because this kind of summarizes what I was just trying to say. Um, in the NIV version, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And in the message, it says it in a way that hits home with me at least a lot more. So here's what I want you to do. 
God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Right? That's God's will for me. Hanging out, walking with him, acknowledging him in, in everything I do, and then the steps that I'm supposed to take, he'll tell me, and I'll know. Whether it's this great big writing on the wall, or I'm just going. Because I'm doing this with him. And I'm, I, I don't think we have to be afraid of, of getting out of his will like that. I remember, Bonnie, I'm curious if you remember this. I remember pulling over at a payphone. That's how long ago this was. Pulling over at a payphone. Um, and I called Bonnie. Brian, <laughs> Brian, Brian wanted to get married. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. <laughs> I wasn't sure about that for, <laughs> parenthetically, just so that you understand why I wasn't sure. I knew I wanted to have kids. Brian's response to that was, I don't know if I'm going to want to have kids. I don't know if I'll ever want to have kids. All I can tell you is I don't want to have them now. So if you think that God is telling you to marry me, then you're just going to have to trust that God's going to get me wherever I need to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I was a little on the fence about whether or not I was supposed to marry him. And I remember pulling over at a payphone and calling Bonnie. I was so I was so distraught. What am I going to do? What if I make the wrong choice? This is a big choice. What if I make the wrong decision? What if I say yes when I was supposed to say no? What if I say no when I was supposed to be yes? And she said the probably one thing that gave me the most peace. She's like, you're not going to make a wrong decision. You're not. God's bigger than this. God's got this. God's got you. You're not going to make the wrong decision. Just keep walking. Just keep walking where he's leading you to go. Um, can you pull up um, that picture, that first picture that hopefully should be next? Oh, yeah, I skipped that too. <laughs> there we go. That picture. Now, when you look at this picture, it just I'm not going to set off feet that much. Okay, you just see a bunch of... I mean, if you really look, it's a little pixelated. There's a rose, there's a flower, there's a, some kind of van. I mean, it's just a bunch of random pictures. It's a bunch of random pictures that don't make any sense at all. But can you go to the next picture? It's that. It's that. That's what God's will is. God's will is that. That mosaic. So when we're focused so much on those, those tiny little details... It, it looks all, holy cow, this is dark. This is all dark, really dark. And there's a lot of dark. But from God's perspective, from looking at the whole picture, if you didn't have the dark, you'd have nothing. If you didn't have all the different shades and shapes and colors arranged just so, in a way that we can't begin to understand when, when we're focused on the detail of it. But this is his perspective. And what he's making, his will, 
is, is more like a mosaic, I think. It's more beautiful like that. The, the slide before was the, the fact that, um, I wanted to make one other point that I skipped. The fact that God, God's name is I am, right? I am. It is a verb. It is present tense. I am. So it encompasses, you know what I mean, all of it. Where, wherever, whatever is going on, he, he is action, he is moving, he is on it. He is above it, beneath it, on top of it. He is already thought of it, already fixed it, already, already had Joseph as number two in Egypt before he ever made the mistake of telling his brothers that dream. Already planned out. So there is, um, I, when I was praying before I came up here, what I, what I said to God, what I say to God every time is, there's so many things that I see now or believe now that I believe differently, you know, 20 years ago. And I'm certain that 20 years from now, I will think some things differently about the Word of God and about His will and His plan and all of that than I do now. So I don't, I don't put faith in the fact that every word that I speak is, is absolute, solid, unchanging truth. What I'm trying to communicate more than anything else is God's heart. Because God will, God will sort out all the rest of it. But this is what I see as his heart, the, the, the freedom to live in his expanse of will. Not holy cow, what do I do here? Yes or no? Not that. The, the freedom and the expanse, because that is, that is much more his heart toward us. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that there is, there is freedom in you, like the freedom that we, that we felt as children, that who we are is enough. What we do is okay. Somebody will always save us. Mom and dad will provide. They'll fix it. They'll get it. They'll do it. They'll, this, is, this is your heart toward us. And in our adulthood and in the complexity of our lives, God, because from our perspective, they are crazy complex. And the decisions that we make aren't little. They're big, God. This isn't to say that that these things aren't important. But God, I pray that you would give us that perspective to know your heart and the freedom that is here for us. That your plan, your will, your heart is, is bigger than we can comprehend. And that following you keeps us where we need to be. God, I pray for peace. I pray that throughout this week, as things challenge that belief in our lives, that Holy Spirit, you would bring it to mind in a way that would help us apply it right then. So that we would find at the end of this week that we fretted or worried or were anxious a little less than we were last week. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. All right. Uh, we have salt in another uh, like five or ten minutes. So uh, enjoy your week. Plan to stay for salt and talk now because you ain't going to get a chance in five or ten minutes. <laughs>